Don't look back because the market is closed. Good Monday afternoon, everyone. Tyler Harris here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. It was an eventful start to the week, I'll say. Uh, Going into the session this morning, futures were pointing to a lower open across the board here. Uh, We finished with just one index positive on the day. But man, there was a lot of bearish chatter going on this morning. So I got to say, that's just not the way that we're seeing it right now. You know our primary themes. If you've been tuning in with us here, we talk about this on almost every podcast now. As we are in a new bull market that, that's been confirmed uh, going back into 2020, but it is a liquidity-driven bull market. We now have global liquidity to the tune of $20 trillion in both fiscal and monetary policy, and it looks like there's just going to be more on the way. Already here in the United States, there is uh, the next round of stimulus looking like it's going to be $1.9 trillion in stimulus. That's been talked about a lot, but what hasn't been talked about quite as much is the stimulus that's going to follow this as well. It's looking now like they're going to try to pass an additional $3 trillion stimulus bill for an infrastructure deal, and then on the heels of that, another $3 trillion bill for the Green New Deal. So, on top of the $20 trillion already in the system, now we're looking at another $7.9 trillion being added to that, and that $7.9 is in the U.S. alone. So, folks, this is... It's going to be exciting one way or the other. Uh, you know, with this level of liquidity in the system, it makes it hard for the markets to have a meaningful correction here. That's what we've been talking about. Yes, there will be pullbacks along the way, but we continue. We're going to use those as buying opportunities. We think those those pullbacks, like we're seeing today, are going to be short-lived and, and buying opportunities. Now, like I said a second ago, it's going to be interesting one way or another here. Uh, I will say this level of stimulus and money printing, I, I may not be fully in favor of that. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Maybe the MMT theorists out there will, will be correct. You never know. But it hasn't. We've never really seen it work before. But with Democrats in control of the Congress and the White House – it looks like these are are almost a done deal. It's just increasingly likely that they will be passed when they have full control, and they'll try to do it before the midterms in case there is some type of, uh, you know, the Republicans taking back the Senate or taking back the House. Uh, they're going to try to get these done now. So even if they aren't as big as their proposals are, There's something that's going to be done here and still will likely have a major impact. Michael Berry, who you may know from the movie The Big Short, a fantastic follow on Twitter, one of the few people who was early, and I mean early, I mean a couple years early, to predicting the 2008 financial crisis. He had a great thread on Twitter over the weekend warning that the setup now in the United States for hyperinflation is on par with that of the Weimar Republic of Germany 
1923, put out a lot of great details about this. And if you're interested, I encourage you to take a look. His Twitter handle is Michael J. Burry. Uh, his, his Twitter name is Cassandra. It's an homage to the Greek mythological prophet. Is, uh, this is interesting. I had to go look it up when he, when he changed it. But it was the prophet who was cursed to utter true prophecies, but never to be believed. That's a, that's a, a, a powerful way to describe yourself there. Uh, but he uses facts to back it up. And I'm going to talk about just a couple of them here. He noted... Germany's inflation cycle, it didn't just appear overnight. It wasn't just they woke up one morning and their currency was valueless. It took eight years leading up to that for the blowout to occur. So really, the problem began building in 1914 and eventually came to a head in 1923. So for kind of a, a little bit of a visualization of what that looks like, he, he quoted... All the marks, the German mark at the time, that existed in the world in the summer of 1922, so one year before, they were not enough. All the marks in the world were not enough by November of 1923 to buy a single newspaper or a tram ticket. And that was the spectacular part of the, the, the collapse, because most of the real loss of wealth had been suffered before that, before 1923. Uh, many have probably heard the famous story of, of uh, a lady and her kid going to buy a loaf of bread with a basket of cash, a grocery basket of cash. And when they came outside, the money was dumped on the floor and somebody had stolen the basket. Now, that's just a powerful story right there. But what we're seeing today could be Something similar. I mean, we've heard it from the Fed. We've heard it from Jay Powell trying to do everything they can to bring inflation back into our economy. He's actually said that he's disappointed inflation is not higher. That is uh, uh, shocking, I guess. But Kip and I have talked about this a lot. We've come to the conclusion here that, uh, I'm using air quotes here, the planners of the world know that our fiat currency system, our debt-based, bankrupt, really, global system is on borrowed time. That's how we're seeing it as well. They are now using the unprecedented levels of stimulus to speed this process up. They want it to implode. And it's a little bit of chaos theory, right? Bring it on. Let's get it out of the way. And... Our personal view on this, you know, I, I got into that, that Barry stuff pretty deep there. But like I mentioned before, he was early to his call for the 2008 financial crisis. And the way we're seeing it, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm smarter than this guy or anything, but we can have different opinions. We still believe that we're in the early to middle innings of this bubble before it pops and we start to see some of the largest governments in the world having to default on their debt, uh, we think that we could get a lot more debt before that happens. So, as Barry noted, the, the process took place over eight years leading up to 1923. So we've got some time, possibly, for this cycle to continue before it finally comes to a head. But he had one other quote in there that I thought was really interesting. He said that leading up to 1923, speculation alone 
added, which added nothing to Germany's wealth, became one of the largest activities. The fever to join in, in turning a quick mark, uh, German mark, infected nearly all classes. Everyone from the elevator operator up was playing the market. Now, that one resonated with me. Does that sound a little familiar to today? I mean, when you think about the, the things we've heard about since, since the March lows of coronavirus insanity, Robinhood traders who made a lot of money shorting the market and then went long and have outperformed institutional investments and outperformed hedge funds. Then you think about the Wall Street bets of the world and what just happened with GameStop. And you continue, we have continued to hear stories of people who are quitting their jobs or talking about at least quitting their jobs to go into speculating on the market. And some of these people we've heard from are incredibly intelligent people, talking engineers of the world and and other uh, well-educated professions, but also the Uber drivers of the world, uh, the, the plumbers and electricians who have great careers but are quitting their jobs to go into trading full-time. Now, we don't think that we're there yet where you just hear those stories all day, every day. We're not quite there, but the mindset that goes into that does not seem like a recipe for long-term prosperity for a society here. Now, like I said, we're not ready to sound the alarm yet on that, but in the meantime, our job here is to recognize these trends. We do think we're early still, and profit as much as possible from this bubble and get out while we can to prepare for whatever is to come. And it could be, yeah, I'm willing to say it could be nothing. Um, maybe governments default on their debt and we've come to some restructuring agreement and, and it doesn't have to end poorly. That's best case scenario. But we have to be prepared for the worst as well. And so on a similar note, the other bearish theme that we saw a lot going into this week is rising interest rates and how they're going to impact the market and how it's going to really impact tech and lead to a rotation from tech into value names. And folks, we just don't see that either. The 10-year yield finished today still below a 1.4%. Yes, that is the highest level since the coronavirus bottom. But it's still well below the historical norms here. And think back to 2019. Rates were in the, or yields were in the 2% range still. And our markets continue to hit new all-time highs. Like I said, compared to historic levels, we're in the low range of yields here. So this is the early stages of rising rates. And in that environment, it actually coincides with the market and stocks moving higher. And there's a reason for that. Rising rates signify a strengthening economy. So that's actually a macro positive here. Rates rising right now are telling us that, hey, the economic outlook, at least here in the United States, is improving. And But the primary bearish theme, like I mentioned earlier, is the concern for tech stocks, saying that there will be a rotation out of tech into value names and while you could see a little bit of that, maybe value does take a leadership role here. We've certainly seen it in small caps, but that doesn't mean that we need to be bearish on tech here. And actually, when you look at the history here, it's quite the opposite. History shows that when yields are rising, and for the right reasons, so not just 
the Fed pumping up rates, when they're rising for the right reasons, tech and cyclically sensitive stocks actually tend to be some of the best performing stocks in that environment. That is according to some research from Raymond James. And in that environment, tech is one of the three best performing sectors alongside consumer discretionary and industrials. And when inflation is at healthy levels between 1% and 3%, tech is actually the strongest performing sector. And it is a significant outperformer of the other sectors as well. So long story short here, we remain bullish on this market. We remain bullish on tech. And on that note, let's take a look at our market action today, starting with the laggards because I've been talking about tech so much. NASDAQ down pretty big today. Uh, Definitely led the way lower, down 2.46% to 13,533. We're still nowhere near oversold levels here yet in the NASDAQ. And we're really, in the grand scheme of things, not that far off from the all-time highs that we were at, I mean, just a few weeks ago. Uh, so, again, nothing overwhelmingly bearish there. Uh, we're going to continue to use pullbacks as buying opportunities we were followed there by the S&P 500, down 0.77% to 3,876. Next up was the Russell 2000, which did try to rally. It went positive after the morning trading, but turned lower into the close, uh, finishing down 0.69% to 2,251. And lastly here, the Dow was our leader today, opened up this morning, down as much as 200 points on the day, rallied all the way back to hit a new all-time intraday high earlier today. It did finish roughly flat up 0.09% or 27 points to 31,521. And yes, the Dow may have pulled back, but this one, for all you old school market watchers out there, this is interesting. We got a Dow Theory buy signal again today. We got one at the end of last week as well as the Dow transports led the Dow Jones Industrial Average, with, which did finish at a new all-time high today. So not as many people subscribe to this theory as they, as they used to. A lot of people talk about how the Dow is not as accurate of a reflection as it once was. But when you see the transports hitting a new all-time high, the Dow hitting a new all-time intraday high today, that just isn't bearish. Having both of those at all-time highs is not bearish. As we talk about here often, new highs beget new highs. And we saw it in our sectors as well, which I'll get to here in a second. But even for a down day like today, to see sectors, stocks hitting new all-time highs, new 52-week highs is not bearish, even on a day like today where you have the NASDAQ down 2.5%. All right, so taking a look at our internals on the day. Very similar action here too, mixed on the day, but given how much the NASDAQ was down, this really wasn't terrible readings here. Declining stocks did be out advancing. It was almost flat though on the New York Stock Exchange, a little worse on the NASDAQ, uh, but not even two to one negative on the day. New 52-week highs to lows were our bright spot here, finishing strong, 702 stocks hitting new 52-week highs. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that 700 stocks hitting new 52 week highs was a big deal. I mean, yeah, we in the last few weeks we've had days with a thousand, but still 700 stocks that is a big number there. And check this out just 33 hitting new 52 week lows that is uh, nothing but strength there. 
Lastly, volume was able to come in positive for the New York Stock Exchange, uh, was negative on the NASDAQ though. Next up here are sectors. Like I mentioned earlier, we got some nice new all-time highs here. We finished with six out of our 11 sectors positive on the day. Energy, which has been our leader for the last couple of weeks, continued that role. Uh, hit another, excuse me, post-lockdown high today. Oil was up big, 4%, able to get back above $60 a barrel. Energy, though, like I said, new Post-lockdown high up 3.47%. We were followed there by financials, which that is a new all-time high there as well. Followed by real estate, uh, materials, and then industrials, another new all-time high there as well. And lastly, for our leaders, consumer staples. Our laggards on the day were tech. Tech was down 2.2% on the day, which, again, not what you want to see. And on that same note, the semis were down 3.66% today. So not what you want to see there as well. But, I mean, the semis just hit a new all-time high on February 16th. So we're not – I mean, we're eight days and what is that? I mean, six trading days out from where the, the last all-time high was. So nothing too concerning there. Our other laggards on the day were consumer discretionary, utilities, communication services, and healthcare. Finally for today, our VRA commodity watch. Uh, we got a strong day today from precious metals. Gold now up 1.69% to back above $1,800 an ounce at $1,807 an ounce. Silver up big today, 3.63% to $28.24 an ounce. Copper also continuing its rally today, hitting another long-term high. Now that is a nine-year high today, uh, up 1.35% to $4.13 a pound. And oil, as I mentioned earlier, having a strong day, up almost 4% now to $61.61 a barrel. And lastly for today, Bitcoin, after this uh, pretty amazing run that it's just had, taking a little bit of a break here, uh, started off the weekend starting to sell off down another 6.27% today to 54,078 of Bitcoin. That's still, even with a 6% pullback, that's a big number. Folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to receive our VRA podcast every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com, click the podcast link at the top, and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.